0: 720 now on Total Information AM. I'm Scott Jagow. Good Sunday morning to you. It is time to chat with John Hancock and Michael Kelly. You guys both on? Yep, good morning. All right. Well, let's start with something that happened on Friday. I don't know. It's one of those moments maybe you remember where you were. You're going to remember yep. it down the road. Tell me about your experience watching Albert Poolholes hit his 700th.
1: Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> Well, I got home uh, to start the evening Friday night. I, I fortunately have Apple Plus. I turned it on. I uh, was all ready. Got through the first inning and fell asleep. Oh, no, no. The entire thing. Never saw one of the home runs. Woke <laughs> up at 3 a.m. to relive it via Twitter, uh, and uh, it was miserable. And thanks for bringing up such a sad kind of, uh, thought. Uh,
0: Scott. John, you have any better story?
1: <laughs> well,
2: I figured out how to work the Apple Plus. That was uh, that was good. And uh, yeah, I watched every minute of it, cheering, crying. Uh, it was quite an emotional moment, you know. When they when the Cardinals signed Albert Pujols right before spring training, you know, I he needed 21 home runs to get to 700. He was at the time billed as going to be a pinch hitting specialist against left handed relievers. And I didn't think there was any chance in the world uh, he was going to get 21 home runs this year. In the first few months of the season, you know, it looked like I was right. And then something happened when he was in that home run derby at the All-Star game and finished in the semifinals. He, he's, he's altered his approach at the plate. He shortened his stroke. He's taken the, that little up pump out leveled up his swing. He is hitting the ball. He's one of the best hitters in baseball the second half. I mean, it's just remarkable what we've seen.
0: We can all agree on the Cardinals. We can all agree on Albert Pujols, but the same cannot be said for politics. So, let's talk about the midterm elections. They're like six weeks away now, guys. Um, And I know you have differing opinions on where things are headed with respect to the House and the Senate. So, Michael, I'll start with you What are your expectations for the Democrats in November?
1: Yeah, I think it's important for us to remember six months ago when we were looking at this, uh, I didn't think the Democrats had a chance to hold either the House or the Senate. Uh, It was about three or four months ago it, it became evident as primaries sorted out on the Republican side that they had nominated some flawed candidates And it appears to me that the Democrats uh, may even increase their majority in the United States Senate. If not, uh, just keep it there at 50-50. The House of Representatives would have bet my house, my kidney, uh, and everything that the Republicans would win and win big. Uh, It's looking, though, now that it's a toss-up. I think it probably leans to the Republicans simply because of the redistricting games that were played throughout the South. Uh, but having said that, uh, there's a very good chance the Democrats could uh, get within striking distance in the House, and with six weeks left and Donald Trump uh, doing what he does, there's a very good chance the Democrats could take the House. So I say the Senate for sure, and the House is a
0: toss-up. John, I'm guessing you have a different opinion.
1: Well, I'm very close.
0: I yeah. think the
2: House for sh- I think the House for sure goes Republican, and the Senate is a toss-up. <laughs> uh, You know, Michael's right in a lot of what he said. You know, not just the redistricting, but it was the reapportionment of the congressional seats. You know, New York lost seats. Illinois lost a seat. California lost a seat. And the states that are gaining tend to be Republican states. So just the overall makeup of that dynamic, and we're talking about a handful of seats that need to flip. So I don't think the prospects are as rosy as they were several months ago. A lot of factors for that but i think the house is almost all but a lock to go republican the senate things would have to break very very right we would probably need one change to the contour of the uh, political environment uh, between now and november if that happens and i think you could see republicans uh, pick up the one or two seats that are going to be necessary to win but i think that's a much longer shot
0: well if we do have a split congress and we have a democratic president um, what, what does that mean for policy going forward, progress going forward?
2: Well, a couple of things, it's, uh, you know, if you want to see sweeping change, that's not going to happen. Uh, but I think there is a sentiment and has been in the country for some time where voters don't mind divided government so much and they voted for it time and time and time again and it doesn't matter whether there was a republican in the white house or a democrat in the white house they voted for divided government and i don't think that's an accident i think they there's some uh, maybe it's even a subconscious desire uh, just to kind of keep things in check
0: well michael if if there is a divided congress uh, how do that how does that affect what president biden might want want to be doing going after november
1: well, it's definitely going to limit it and restrict him. Uh, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. And I think John uh, may agree with me that uh, Joe Biden has had one of the more consequential presidencies uh, from a Democratic perspective. I mean, they have passed some really historic legislation, even t- legislation that couldn't, that Democrats seem to not be able to get the votes to, uh, together when we had the sweeping majorities under Barack Obama. Uh, I'll tell you who else likes divided government is the markets. Um, uh, they typically react positively to the markets. They don't like these big swings that go back and forth. Uh, I don't think Joe Biden can follow up his last two years like he did the first two years because it was really unique circumstances that lined everything up for Democrats to be able to move forward with some legislation. So I'd look for status quo. My only hope would be if the Republicans get one control of one of the houses of Congress, uh, it would force them to have to come to the table and let's have some real solutions to the immigration issue. Uh, so that may be one of the positives that come on, could come out of divided government. Because both sides know that what we're doing right now is unsustainable and needs to be fixed.
0: And, John, do you think that uh, it's OK that the governor of Florida continues to send migrants here and there?
2: You know, I think. The only thing I would really change about that approach is I would let the cities know ahead of time that the immigrants are coming. Uh, Just to just to drop them in there like that unannounced is uh, less than optimum. But, you know, a lot of people are making a big deal about shipping folks to different places. Well, that is the way immigration has worked in this country. Now, usually it's the federal government that sends them, puts them on a plane or a bus and moves them around the country. I mean, that's, that's how precisely how the Bosnian community was built here in St. Louis. And so, I mean, all of the, quote, outrage about this, I think, is uh, a, a little bit overblown. And it certainly has shined the light. Nobody was talking about our poorest borders a month ago. And they should have been, because it's a real problem. And it's a crisis. And so, uh, to the extent that, we're not talking about it. I think that's a good thing.
0: Well, let me ask a, a more regional question we've had throughout this election season. And this is both Democrats and Republicans not deciding to go to debates, backing out of debates for this reason or that reason. Michael, how do we get the candidates to debate each other? It's very frustrating as a voter to not have them you know, going head to head so we can see their policies right next to each other.
1: Well, I think you better get used to it. Uh, I think this is the new way we're doing politics. And for that uh, matter, Scott, it's not only debates. I mean, rarely can you even get these candidates or elected officials to even answer questions from the press. That's true. Uh, Everything is coming through a very structured, filtered environment, allowing them to be able to post their own narratives on social media. Unfortunately, I don't see that really changing. And that's irrespective of the St. Louis area. This is a trend we're seeing throughout the country, and I think the only thing that's going to change it is voters' demands. But unfortunately, uh, voters continue to prove to us uh, on a regular basis that they're not participating in primaries. And as a result, we're getting these extreme candidates who are further not going to debate. So we're kind of in a catch-22 here.
0: John, we got about 30 seconds. Do you have any ideas, solutions for this problem of getting candidates uh, together to talk about the issues?
2: No, <laughs> um, you know, I think Michael laid out precisely what's happening and uh, I don't see anything gonna, that's going to change anytime soon.
0: All right. Well, that's not very encouraging. I need Sorry. Some... <laughs> All right. I guess you're being realists. Thanks so much, uh, John Hancock and Michael Kelly. We'll talk to you next week. Eat you well, back. Scott.